we're using an absolute objective truth. Human beings do better when they fall in love, right? Which was given to us through the Bible. Yeah. Is that if I fall in love and I'm in love, then I'm happier and my soul is fulfilled. My life is better. Well, scientific materialism doesn't teach that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Salty Pastor Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping you learn and grow your critical thinking skills, Mm -hmm. as well as your faith. We're here to challenge you to bring new thought processes to light, Um, but ultimately we can't do the work for you. We can't tell you what to believe or how to think. You have to do that hard work. All we can do is guide you and challenge you along the way. My name is Jesse Mayer. I will be your host, and we cannot do the Salty Pastor Podcast without the Salty Pastor himself, Dr. (laughs) Douglas Peak. So good to be with you, everyone, today, and I I like how you say that. We're here to grow critical thinking skills. That grows your faith. Uh, What we are doing is we are, each and every week, we're challenging a perception of what faith is, that faith is irrational, it's belief in myth, and this is what atheists, scientific materialists, and secularists want people to define. That's what they want to define faith as meaning. But what we're saying here is that no, faith is so much more. It is mm. rational, it is reasonable, it's based on revelation and truth, it's a, it's a hardcore pursuit of truth, it's being brutally honest, it's uh, what birthed, it was faith that birthed the scientific revolution. It was faith that birthed uh, the industrial revolution. It was faith that b- birthed modern uh, medical science. And right. so without that type of faith, our society is going to be lost in a lot of ways. We need that innovation. We need that, that inspiration. We need that. And so that's what Salty Patrick is about is not telling people what to think, but helping them learn how to think for themselves to bring back that American spirit of innovation and inspiration and a desire to grow and push the boundaries. And so that's what it's all about. And I'm glad to be here and I'm glad to be salty. Well, we're glad to have you as well. We are in our final installment of our current series, Jesus Loves Me. Um, We're wrapping it all up. We've kind of talked about four different essentials before this. One, uh, Jesus, who is he? He is Mm -hmm. God. Two, he loves us. um, And that's what he does. Three, me, who are we? Uh, What is our nature? The, why are we wired to, you know, love and do the things we do. Right. Yeah. And why do Um, we need God's love in our life? Right. Absolutely. Why do we need that? Yes. And then, um, this I know is what we talked about last week, which is, you know, every person's invited into a personal relationship with God. And then today and this week is for the Bible tells me so. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Absolutely. So on Tuesday we discussed what Jesus, the apostles and the early church um, believed concerning the scriptures. And today let's discuss why their conviction about the Bible is critical for us still today in these times. Yeah. Well, this is such an upstream concept that is so critically important. And that is, is that uh, it has massive implications across the board. And what we're doing today is, we're seeing a complete and utter uh, denigration and removal of the Bible out of American society back in the 50s and 60s. Mm. And uh, it was then eliminated even as a scholarly book to study uh, in the 60s when they removed prayer out of school. There was this notion that uh, secularists had that we have to eliminate and eradicate any mention of God or anything that they could 
label as religious. And what has happened is we have some massive, massive downstream implications from that today, because as a, as, as a historical document, the Bible is the foundation of our definition of human nature. Mm. And so by abandoning the Bible or leaving the Bible's definition of human nature, what we have created is a massive political instability in American society. And that's what we're seeing today and why it is so a politics of personal destruction. See, what has happened is no nation has ever been built, existed, or thrived on the foundation of moral relativism. Now, I know that's a philosophical term, and a lot of people, you know, the average guy listening to this, you know, he might think, well, what in the Sam Hill is that? So, well, we got a series on that. You can go listen to what in the Sam Hill is moral uh, relativism. So now this is what's important to understand. This is not an issue of Republican politics, independent politics, or Democrat politics. It doesn't matter if you're an R, an I, or a D, or a Libertarian, or Green Party, or any of those type of things. All of these positions, these political positions that you might have, are built on a foundation of what is known as a representative republic. America is not a pure democracy. And so basically what that means is a pure democracy is every decision, everybody gets together and votes. Right. Okay, well, that just is untenable. Right. You know, I'm, I don't know about you, but I have a hard time getting the seven people in my family to decide on where to go to dinner. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Let's vote on it, you know. So what we are is called a representative republic. And that is, is that we elect a person, we vote for a person who then goes and represents us. Right. Right. And that brings us stability to the, the government. Now, what's really interesting is it was our, our nation was founded on uh, this principle of not moral relativism, but a specific definition of human nature. And that is human nature cannot be trusted with power. So we have checks and balances and we have elections and we have all of this kind of stuff in order to temper the irrationality of human behavior. Mm. And once you get rid of that, then the whole system becomes untenable and starts to collapse. And that's kind of what we're starting to see happen here. And that's because we cannot exist on a foundation of moral relativism. Uh, and, and this isn't just unique to democracies. You know, USSR was founded in 1917. The Communist Party, known as the Bolsheviks, uh, instituted a coup and took over. This was led by Lenin. And so Russia, uh, USSR, built their entire nation on a specific singular communist ideology. There was nothing relativistic about it. It's very specific. But then it came to its fruition and we saw what it does. And then it collapsed in the 80s and fell apart. When Hitler came to power in the 30s, he had a very specific ideology. There was nothing relativistic about it. Uh, what, he had a very specific ideology that he built, he tried to build his empire on. He felt it was such a powerful ideology that it was going to last for a thousand years. Well, obviously it did not. Right. Uh, you look at after World War II, uh, there was a, a civil war in China between the constitutionalists. It was the uh, Kuomintang Party and the Communist Party at that time was called the CCP, which it's still known today. And it was led by uh, Mao Zedong. Uh, 
1949, just four years after the end of World War II, the communists won the Civil War and the uh, Kumatang uh, retreated to the island of Taiwan. And so the Cultural Revolution began pretty much in 1950, but it was built on a single ethic of communist ideology. There was no, it wasn't relativistic. It wasn't try to, well, you can believe that and you guys can believe that and you guys can believe that and we'll all get along and it'll be just fine. And that's what secularists say today is that if we just let everybody believe whatever they want, we can have a society. And this is a notion of, well, you can have whatever truth you want. Just make up your own truth and that's fine. And we can have a diverse society. Well, that's actually false. It doesn't work that way. And it hasn't worked in any type of, whether it be communist, socialists, uh, representative republic, democracy, monarchies, uh, tyrannical dictatorships like North Korea. Uh, There's nowhere where moral relativism on any scale has been able to maintain a nation or empire. We could, we could keep going on and on and on. Japan, Saudi Arabia, Iran. I mean, it just goes on and on and on. And the reason why is because a philosopher by the name of John Locke, he talked about philosophically what has to happen is uh, uh, what is known as a social contract. And we've talked about that quite a bit right. on the Salty Pastor. So the underlying thing is, is that, well, if we have a definition of humanity that comes from the Bible, right? Can we all agree on that or not? And the difficulty today is that we don't agree on that anymore. Mm. And that's where a lot of our division is coming from. And when you have a division like that, what it does is, is one side, the side that doesn't want that definition, uh, tries to impose their definition on everybody else through legal means. And that, that there's where the, de- the def- difficulty is. For instance, in John Locke's uh, uh, social contract, particularly when it came to America at the very beginning, we believed in the sovereignty of the individual. So today we don't believe in that anymore in America. And if we practice abortion, which we do in our society, uh, the practice of abortion as a legal right is a moral relativistic premise, you see, because what you're doing is you're saying that there are certain human beings that don't qualify as full human beings yet. Okay. Well, that's a moral relativistic position, you see. And so that that's why the existence of it as a moral right, you know, as it was uh, instituted by the Supreme court, in Roe v. Wade, what, what that is going to be a point of division forever. Mm. It's never going to be resolved. Just like slavery in the 1800 could not be resolved. You know, it could not, you guys do what you want. We'll do what we want. It, it just didn't work. You right. see, and it, and it can't and have a unified nation. Do we believe in the freedom to determine one's own course in life? And this is the, you have the, uh, you've been endowed by your creator with an unalienable rights. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, meaning the, your own life, your own liberty, meaning that you get to make decisions about your life through the dictates of your own conscience and your pursuit of happiness, what you think is going to make you happy. Well, guess what? This freedom to determine one course in life is not possible with moral relativism, you see, and that is a problem. Do you believe it that you own your own labor? 
you see, and that was the life clause. You have a right to your own life. Well, socialism, communism, monarchies, dictatorships, etc., a military juntas are all the opposite of this. You don't own your own labor. The state does, or, or the monarchy does. You don't own it. Mm. Okay, you're a fife. Uh, there's no compromise or middle ground between these two ideologies. Moral relativism in regards to this always leads to the stronger totalitarian ideology being forced on other people. Do we believe in justice for all? Well, moral relativism certainly doesn't. It believes that, well, you know, th- this is what we're going to do is we're going to give these people a different type of justice. Like for instance, social justice is when it comes to uh, social justice in the area of economics. Well, these people are where they're at because society has created itself in a way that has caused this outcome. Now, part of that may be true. I'm not disputing whether those that can be made factually accurate or true or not. That's not the point. The, the point is, is okay, well, what's the remedy to that? is the remedy is if society is structured in a way that it's unfair to someone, our founding fathers would say, then remove the unfair obstacle. Okay. Remove the unfair obstacle. But that's not what economic justice says today. Economics justice says, well, what we're going to do is we're going to take from these people and we're going to give to those people. Okay. So they're appealing to the moral underlying subconscious moral principle of envy. You see, we're going to take from you to give to them because then that will equal the score. So basically the old adage, two wrongs don't make a right. Mm-hmm. Well, in economic social justice, you know, three wrongs do make it right. So they just perpetuate it. But the problem with that is that of course that never works, but that's what moral relativism does is it allows you to act unjustly towards whatever false identifiable group that you create and put people in, uh, in order to, you can say, well, but this helps this group over oppose that group. And so it pits people against each other on purpose. So it really appeals to the most, uh, basis, basic, uh, drives of human nature, which, you know, we're trying to be more human, not less human. And so that's why moral relativism is so bad. And that's why the Bible is so important because the Bible preempts all of it. It says, here it is. This is what it means to be a human being. This is where you're at. It, it, it's really fascinating how Christianity is not a religion of, uh, uh, dietary habits, dress habits, musical habits, these types of things, ceremonial habits. It's not, it never has been. It, it's taken so many different forms over 2000 years. And so I think when it really comes down to it, the whole issue, um, is that when you leave the Bible, you become more relativistic. And so you're no longer grounded in any truth and that actually complicates life. It doesn't make life more simple. I mean, I, I, I think it's very similar to, I remember distinctly the impression after I finished college mm-hmm. of not knowing what to do because up until that point, there was kind of a life plan involved, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it was, you go and you graduate high school, then you go to college, you get a degree. And then after that, it's, it's up to you basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, one of the hardest things It's the same thing when it's like, you kind of get like all the channels on direct TV or whatever. You're like, well, now I have all the options. Yeah. And so then you just kind of feel adrift and you end up scrolling forever and you don't ever make a decision. Yeah, and I they kind never of, watch anything. Yeah. And I feel like that's kind of where 
where what it feels like you know quote unquote truth is now where it's constantly shifting and there's no real truth you're just sort of like well i don't know what i'm doing anymore because there's nothing to like grab onto there's nothing i to have sink no to. purpose yeah and so you're just like kind of floating around and i see this with a lot of um friends of mine that are not mm -hmm. believers or um even students that i was coaching um as they went off on to college they're like well what am i supposed to do after this and i'm like I mean, you got to figure that out yeah. for yourself. Yeah. And it's like, it's a good thing and a bad thing to have options. I mean, depending on what narratives you listen to, having those options means you're too privileged and you need to make a decision on how to give mm -hmm. some of that up. But it's like, I just see this in so many different ways where it's like, there's so much now that any truth can be truth. It's sort of like, well, yeah. it just means that my group is more important than your group. And we see that, mm -hmm. we see that in so many different ways. It's like, uh, you know, it's Republicans saying Democrat tears in a coffee mug and it's mm -hmm. Democrats saying, Oh, the, the victimized Republicans. And then it's this doing that. And this culture, you know, this, um, this, uh, you know, skin color saying that skin color is or mm -hmm. isn't deserving of whatever. And it's, so it's just like, it's turning into all these little tribes and because only my truth matters and not an objective truth, mm -hmm. there's nothing to like disprove or prove anything. It's just right. like, you can say anything I can, you know, I was joking about, you know, I was getting, I was at a, a gathering with some of my friends and you know we, there was that crazy thing where it was like you could have an emotional support animal yeah that was not a dog so there was like emotional support peacocks and like <laughs> just all these <laughs> random stuff right and it's yeah. like that was a thing on the airlines for a while and they were like well we can't say that's not a thing yeah until they finally were like no really this needs to stop you can't bring was, your donkey yeah, on it was plane. just getting out of control and it's like i feel like that's just like these are all very these are like, you know, kind of humorous examples, yeah. but that's, this is the downstream effects of not having that's any right. objective truth. Cause then yeah. it's like, you can't say that my emotional support peacock that screams at the top of its lungs 24 yeah. seven is not what the healthiest thing for me on this plane is because it's my truth. It's and my it's truth. Like, <laughs> but <laughs> and it removes any capacity for us to have any type of society. Well, and have any kind of conversation too. Like yeah. the, the, it's, it turns into, you can't have a debate or you can't have a, a discussion anymore because it's no, my truth is my truth. And therefore it is yeah. ultimately correct. You can say whatever you want. You can believe whatever you want, yeah. but it's not going to change my mind right. because it's my truth. It's my truth. And so mm -hmm. it's like, and, and you it, can't stop me from living my truth. Yeah. And so it's even like, if I'm a cannibal yeah, and I want to eat my no, neighbor, there's no more grounds to have even a discussion. Cause it's like, well, we could have a discussion, but I have no objective need to change. So right. Whatever. Absolutely. And so that's what it's kind of come down to. Like just the, and you know, it's like, it's humorous, but it's like, these are, yeah. there's bigger ramifications from this, right? Yeah, across the board. Across and so the with society becoming completely relativistic in its morality, what happens to us as individuals when that's occurring? Well, I think it's extremely um, devastating to us when we become moral relativistic in, in our personhood. It destroys you as a person. It dehumanizes you. It doesn't allow you to become the best version of anything, let alone the best version of yourself. And that's why the Bible is so critical. You see, wh whether a person admits it or not, 
they govern and manage their own lives based on a definition of what it means to be a human being. They really do. For instance, you know, you have a person who says, man, I want to fall in love. I want to get married. Maybe they're tired of being alone. Maybe they want sexual fulfillment. They want companionship. They want to have a partner to go out and have fun with, dance with, climb, hike with, have adventures with, um, build a life with. Uh, Where in the world do all of these drives and desires come from? Where does it come from? Mm. Well, it comes from uh, a biblical definition of human nature. It doesn't come from atheism or secularism or scientific materialism at all. It doesn't come from Hinduism. Hinduism doesn't teach or, or practice that or Buddhism at all. It comes from the biblical definition of what it means to be a human. And, you know, that is an upstream principle. The downstream principle is the assumption that if I find someone and fall in love and build a life with this other person, I'm going to be happier mm-hmm. and I'm going to enjoy my life. Right. But the unstream concept that that drive comes from is that human beings are created for love in their soul. Well, and I think it's interesting how hard it is for people to find loving, long-lasting relationships, in, at least in my generation, yeah. and I'm assuming going forward. Yeah. Um, well, maybe Bibber struggled with that, too. <laughs> I know, right? But, I mean, it's like, I don't know. It's it's it, it goes back to these things that we're seeing because it's like even this. Like, you look at some of these dating apps now, and they want you to put whether you're vaccinated or not on it, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And so I had a friend who... Um, was just in town the other day. He was talking about, he was, he was talking to uh, a girl on this social or on this dating app. Dating app. And yeah. the first question out of her mouth was, are you vaccinated or not? And he, he jokingly is like, I have a 50, 50 chance. Right. And he's like, so he's like, you know, I'm not vaccinated yet, but I, I'm, I have an appointment this coming weekend. And she just completely cut him off and she didn't say which side she was on, but it's like the fact that we're getting to a point where yeah. your viewpoint on this immediately eliminates your value in any other way. Right. And and she had no idea what his circumstances might've been. You sure. know, maybe he had already had COVID and wasn't allowed to get the vaccine. Cause they tell you, you're supposed to wait uh, like six months, I think to yeah. get the vaccine. If you've had mm-hmm. COVID, mm-hmm. they did, she didn't know if maybe, you know, it wasn't available. He's in a rural area. I mean, yeah. there's, there, there was no discussion about why he had or had not already gotten it. And it yeah. was just immediately, cut off based on one single answer to one single question. It's like, where did these it's, and it comes down to that deconstructionist ideology that we're dealing with in this postmodernism, mm-hmm. where it's like one thing immediately invalidates you as a dateable relationship having person in yeah. the people eyes of people. It's like, I just need to find that one thing that upsets me about you. And then I can just toss it all away. Yeah. Right? Yeah, and absolutely. So, and, and of course that's, you know, moral relativism, uh, propagates more division, right. not more unity. And so it's just like, you know, he was kind of joking about it. He's like, you yeah. know, one 50, 50 chance I might get it right. You know, hedging my bets, but it's just like, it's, it's funny, but it's also, again, the funny, yeah. we laugh because it's sad. Yeah. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I, I think what's interesting is that in that particular situation is that, uh, this gal that he's talking to, she is basically approaching, uh, relationships, you know, the, th- the reason why she wants one, she's on the dating app is because she's using, or her foundation is a biblical definition of human nature. If I find someone, I'll be happier, or that's the point of life. So I'm out searching and looking and doing all of these kinds of things. 
So I think one of the fascinating parts of it, though, is that she's actually using a morally relativistic process to get to it. Mm. So that there's an incongruence there, you see. And I think that's why it's so difficult for people to find love. And it's so difficult is because we're using an absolute objective truth. Human beings do better when they fall in love, right? Which was given to us through the Bible. Yeah. Is that if I fall in love and I'm in love, then I'm happier and my soul is fulfilled. My life is better. Well, scientific materialism doesn't teach that. Mm. Hinduism doesn't teach that. Buddhism doesn't teach that. Paganism doesn't teach that. Only biblical Christianity teaches that. And that's really important to understand. You see, is that all of our dreams that we're pursuing, right, have a tendency to be based on a biblical definition of human nature, which is very upstream, but we're using a morally relativistic process to get there. Mm. Okay. Like, um, you know, I, I just... And the reason why this is happening, I think, is because there are so many attacks against the Bible and the attacks come from our cultural elites, the people, the, the elites, the wealthiest among us who are over media and TV and movies and magazines and, and news organizations, influencers, influencers and things of that nature, you know, and the number one area, this is how we get in these little pickles, these incongruent things. Oh, well, I'm going to adopt an absolute objective definition of humanity. I do so much better when I fall in love and I find someone and I need to find someone that I'm really compatible with and blah, 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 blah. But I'm going to use a morally relativistic um, approach to get that. Well, that incongruence puts you in a pickle and it makes it so difficult to ever find that. You're never going to fulfill that because you're, you're doing, you're like going in opposite directions at the same time. And one of the reasons why there are uh, people struggle with this is because the number one attack against the Bible, uh, from our cultural elites have to do with human sexuality. You see now, when you understand the biblical definition of human nature, and then you understand sex and you understand the beauty of it, your sexuality, why you're driven towards it, why it's so powerful in your life and, and what a powerful drive it is. But you also understand how, uh, because of your human nature, it can, it can, uh, influence you in ways that aren't good for you. It can dehumanize you if you're mm. not careful. So that's, that's in essence, in a nutshell, that's what the teaching of the Bible is and why it is that way. But um, the reason why they attack human sexuality is because first and foremost, uh, you're going to get the broadest base of appeal. Human beings love sex. We're driven by sex. The sex drive dominates our psyche. So, you know, just look at pornography. Pornography generates more economic uh, influence than all professional sports combined. That's a big industry. That's a huge industry of how big it is. And so, uh, since the sexual revolution in the sixties, no one wants to be told that anything they want sexually could possibly be wrong or not good for them or good for those around them. Second, the reason why our cultural elites attack the Bible when it comes to human sexuality is it fits with postmodern thinking and moral relativism. And that is, well, whatever I want, we've talked about this before, and that is, well, whatever I want sexually is my identity. 
That's who I really am. And if you try to suppress that, and this is the Rousseauian idea that what you're doing is you're suppressing me and who I really am. And that's the whole notion of people. It's like, well, I'm coming out, you know, I'm announcing to the world who I truly, truly am. And so, you know, I, you know, my opinion is, is if someone uses that phraseology, they says, I'm coming out of the closet. You know, I'm like, you go in there, well, there's nothing in the closet. You know, I mean, there, the emperor has no clothes. What, th- that's not the point. Right. And, and yet that's how they feel. Third, I think the reason why our cultural elites attack the Bible in regards to human sexuality is because many sexual mores in society were developed over time. For instance, during the Victorian age, okay, Queen Victoria was a queen for a long, long time, all right? And in the Victorian age, there became this very prudish attitude towards sex. But the prudish attitude towards sex, in my opinion, what really drove it was this notion of bloodlines and keep bloodlines pure for the right to rule and for to keep the monarchy pure. And then that spills down into the culture. And, and so all that, and then what they would do is they'd try to use the body the Bible to support their culturally created claim. Uh, It's exactly what a lot of people in the South did for a while is they tried to use the Bible to support what is known as chattel slavery, which is the importation of human beings and you treat them like chattel. Whereas the Bible never ever talks about, I mean, actually the Bible in Leviticus, it outlaws chattel slavery. So slavery was never legalized in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Chattel slavery wasn't, but bonded labor was, and that's the whole notion of servant or he was his slave or whatever. That that comes from this notion of being a bonded servant. And we use bonded labor today. As a matter of fact, if you sign a non-complete clause as a employee, guess what that is? That's rooted in the ancient law of bonded labor. You can't go work for someone else. You can't go work for somebody else for a period of time and do the exact same thing. You can't do that. Do you know that every professional athlete who signs a contract in either MLB or in Uh, the NBA or the NFL or whatever, those are all bonded contracts. It's all bonded labor. You can play for us or not play at all. You can't, you can't just go somewhere else. You can't do that. You see, um, if, if you actually are required to show up to work like at Amazon, you know, you work for Amazon and you have to clock in at nine o'clock in the morning and you can't leave until five o'clock in the afternoon. Guess what that is? Bonded labor. Right. And that's what the Bible talked about and regulated all the time. And so, uh, I think these attacks that are really, uh, pernicious against the Bible deal with a misunderstanding of sexuality and our, you know, our whole definition of what it means to be a human being. And then it's misrepresented. Uh, you know, there's this thing that's going around now. I see it a lot on the internet. Um, and it's a scene from the West wing. And the West Wing was a really popular show and won all these Emmys and all this stuff. Martin Sheen played a president, right? Right. And it, there's a scene in there where the president is uh, challenging what they perceive as a right-wing fundamentalist on the issue of people practicing homosexuality. And so what he does is they show him as being this really smart and intelligent guy. And he says, well, the Bible is inconsistent. And his point is it's archaic. It's mythology. We shouldn't listen to today because what he does is he says, well, it says in Leviticus that that's wrong, but it also says in Leviticus that eating shell, uh, shellfish 
is wrong as well. Well, guess what? It doesn't, and Leviticus not only says that eating shellfish was wrong, it also says that you can't sew two different types of material together, right? So right. your pants that you're wearing would be illegal right. in that culture at the time. You weren't allowed to plant two types of crop in a field. You couldn't, you couldn't do wheat and then do soybeans. Couldn't do that either. Right. You couldn't crossbreed any animals. So there were no like tigers and lions. No, so no ligers. No ligers. Around. Yeah. Man, but the, the biggest thing is like. there's no mules. You couldn't have a mule, you know, cause a mule is the offspring of a donkey and a horse, right? right. And they're highly intelligent. They're big and strong, but they're all sterile. So they, you know, so you, that's you, to get a mule, you always have to crossbreed. You couldn't do that either. And so, so that must mean that Christianity is wrong on all these, these uh, sexual issues. Well, this is such a misrepresentation of everything. It's completely false. And first and foremost, that the book of Leviticus is about Judaism. It's not about Christianity. Right. The, the Christian teaching about finding our identity in our sexual preferences or sexual orientations is a New Testament principle. That if you do that, you're not finding your identity in Christ, right? And that is incongruent. And so that's going to hinder your growth in Christ. That's, that's the teaching of the New Testament. The, se- the second thing is this, is that it, you might criticize Judaism for that. That's fine if you want to do that, but at least have some intellectual honesty. And the West Wing and the writers of West Wing had zero intellectual honesty about it. You've been reading through the Bible in a year. Yeah, I'm actually in Leviticus, in Leviticus right Leviticus, now. I was yeah. reading these. We're in all yeah. the do's and do not sections. Yeah. That and so, were given. Okay. Who are the Le- Levites? Do you remember who the Levites were in the old Testament? The Levites are, well, they're one of the tribes of Israel. They're one of the tribes of Israel. And what is their primary job? The Levites were all of the priests. priests. Right? That's exactly right. And so this is a book written to the priests. Okay. And says, this is what you do. And as you read through Leviticus, what you'll notice is it switches, you know, it'll talk about this and it'll talk about something different. It switches a lot. You know, it's kind of like reading a, uh, instruction manual. Yeah. It's very, it's, it's very like, so Moses went and talked to God, God told him how to do all these things. And then Moses goes and tells Aaron, yeah. How to do the things. And then he does the things. And then he does the things. Yeah. (laughs) It's just really boom, 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 boom. And, and, it doesn't take long reading through it that you realize is that, well, they're talking about three different things throughout the entire book. They're talking about a moral law and the moral law is encapsulated early on in the 10 commandments. And that is, this is a more, these are moral laws that are wrong everywhere. It's right. wrong to murder somebody, you know, yep. it's wrong to steal your neighbor's stuff, yep. right? It's wrong to, you know, it's encapsulated that this is called the moral law. That's wrong everywhere. Right. Then there is civil law. And that is, well, how are we going to get along with each other? <laughs> you know, you can't go. And if, if you do this and you wrong your neighbor, you know, civil law is, you know, if you're, if your neighbor shoots your dog, you can't go kill his son. Right. All right. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so the whole notion of eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth was, is that the punishment has to fit the crime. Right. You know, if, you know, well, maybe you could go do something to their, your dog or whatever, but you can't 
escalated. It kept everything from escalating. So then you have this whole chunk of civil law about how to treat one another and what you can do and you can't do and blah, 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 blah. And then there was what is known as ceremonial law. And that is, this is why you have to go out and you have to quarantine yourself or you have to give uh, a I sacrifice. Just that whole section. Did you really? It was, it was a bit of a slog. But <laughs> it was a bit of a slog. So, um, and I know we're going a little long today, but it's really important that people understand this, is that there's ceremonial law, civil law, and moral law. And so how is it that Jesus comes and says, I have fulfilled the law, right? And so the law is done, but at the same time say, I didn't come to replace the law. Well, you could get really confused really fast unless you know that there is a ceremonial law. Jesus came and fulfilled it all. Right. So anything that falls under ceremonial law, slaughter a cow and sprinkle that anymore. Yeah. and all that stuff. You don't have to do yeah. that anymore because he yeah. took care of it. And then Paul talks about how we, there is no more dietary laws. There is no more sacrificial laws. There is no more new moon or feast day that we have to celebrate because, you know, they had to get together and celebrate all these feasts and, and they, do all of these and things. And there was always the, the idea of ceremonially clean and unclean exactly. that you have to quarantine for if you touch this thing that happened mm-hmm. to touch another thing and you're, you have yeah. to go and you have to rough your hair up. So everybody knows that you're unclean and it's, yeah, it was yeah. a whole lot of things. I'm like, that's so many rules to remember yeah. on all of these, all things. Of these things. So, so you had ceremonial law, Jesus Christ came to fulfill and, and that's all done away with, but the moral law of God has been unchanging. And what's really interesting is when you read about sowing different types of uh, materials together together or crops in a field or whatever. Uh, That's all under the ceremonial law, you see, and some, and it spills over a little bit into the civil law, but Jesus came and replaced all of that. See the civil law under Judaism is no longer in, in play because there is no nation, uh, religious nation, theocracy known as Israel. The one in Israel now is a representative democracy or a republic similar right. to us. It's a little different because it has a parliament, but the moral law is consistent. So what West Wing did was completely dishonest. It's completely dishonest because Martin Sheen and his character is saying, well, these are, he equivocated these things. And that's the equivalent today of saying that murder under our criminal law is the same as a dispute on a right of way driveway in somebody's neighborhood, which is a civil law. Or complaint. like those, or those like crazy rule, you know, you always see those crazy yeah. laws that have yeah. existed. Like you can't have an ostrich right down a street yeah. in Buckingham or yeah. whatever. Like it's like stuff Do you know like that. There's one in Idaho that you cannot fish from the back of a camel. What you know that occurred because somebody did it, right? Somebody like, did it somewhere. And he said, there's no law. And they're like, well, we'll fix we'll that. We'll fix real that quick. real quick. Like a, he's fishing from the back of a camel. That's hilarious. But see that my point in all of this is simply that, uh, it, you know, this has been common, these attacks on the Bible from the beginning of time. The attempt to keep the Bible out of the hands of everyday people has a 2000 year history. You know, political governments uh, have gone so far as refusing to teach people how to read. They would hinder uh, monks and and, uh, nuns from teaching people how to read. They didn't want them to do that. As a matter of fact, the Roman Catholic Church, there's a guy who translated the Bible into the vernacular, meaning the language of the people so they could read it. He just in this, at this time, very few people could read it. It was mostly nobles mm. could read it. They burned him at the stake for mm. doing that. 
So, so there's always been a desire to keep the Bible out of hands. And today, Western society, postmodernism, deconstructionism, which leads to more relativism, has tried to use the approach that the Bible is stupid, so don't pay any attention to it. And that's been probably very effective. And, and so I think the devil has used that strategy to keep the Bible out of people's hands. And so, because if we lose the foundation of our social contract, then we become moral relativists. And this is the crazy influence of deconstructionism. Deconstructionism only seeks to destroy. It never asks the question, what should rise in its place? What should rise up in its place? Well, I'll tell you what will happen because history is a very strict teacher. It never lets you depart from the gravity of true history and what gravity of true history says over and over again. And this is the old notion that those who don't know history are doomed to repeat it. And we will repeat it if we are not careful. And this is what deconstructionism and moral relativism produces. It produces injustice. Moral relativism breeds injustice. Critical race theory and its philosophy is unjust. Communism is unjust. Socialism is unjust. Sexual abuse, sexual assault, rape, incest is unjust. Abandoning children, child abuse, neglect of children, the dehumanization of children and other uh uh, the outright killing of children is simply unjust. It will never pass the muster of an objective moral law. However, our sexual moral relativism has produced all of these things. All of these things are increasing. They are not decreasing. Injustice will grow in a moral, morally relativistic society. Number two, it will create more division. It will create more division. It will create civil war. It will create... Uh, more hatred because more relativism, as you pointed out earlier, creates a hatred of the other person because my truth is right and yours is wrong. And that makes me morally righteous in my treatment of you. It creates war. This is where all war comes from. And ultimately it uh, destroys peace. You know, the, the capacity for us to just live side by side peace with one another is eradicated, mm. you know, Everything's a litmus test. And if you don't have that vaccine, I won't even talk to you. If you have an R or a D next to your yeah, name, I won't, won't talk listen to you. To you. <laughs> yeah. And if you do this, I won't talk, you, you know, it's just, so all that does is balkanize, meaning it just mm. gets you in more people, tribal, hating one another. And that's where war comes from. And what, what moral relativism produces injustice, division, war, and a lack of peace is the history uh, or the historical record of the human race over the last 7,000 years. So what you're saying is the Bible's kind of important. The Bible is super important. <laughs> well, I'm excited to hear more on Sunday as you kind of wrap up this whole series of Jesus Loves Me. We've had a lot of really positive comments about how... Um, amazing this has been to just really solidify people's understanding of yeah. what's important in their beliefs. Um, and obviously the Bible is super important as part of that. So we're excited to wrap this all up on Sunday here at yep. Foothills. Thank you guys so much for joining us. And I know today was a little bit longer, but obviously you can't just skip on the Bible. <laughs> you gotta... can't skip on the Bible. <laughs> so thank you guys so much for joining us. We'll see you on Sunday here at Foothills Christian God Church. God bless you.